Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 75, Conquer the Entrepreneur's Kryptonite, Simple Strategic Planning, featuring James Woosley. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Today's leaders, whether in business or nonprofit, are expected to be entrepreneurial. But the kryptonite that threatens to kill the dreams of every entrepreneur is strategic planning. Many people have no plan and try to shoot from the hip, so effort and resources are wasted or unfocused. Others get bogged down in a too detailed planning process, and the plan never gets executed. The antidote for this kryptonite is simple strategic planning. And here to talk to us about that today is James Woosley. He is the author of a new book, Conquer the Entrepreneur's Kryptonite, and he's here to talk to us a little bit about the process that he outlines in that book called The Simple Strategic Plan, or SSP. James Woosley, welcome to The Engaging Leader. Hey, Jesse. Great to be here. Thanks. James, tell us why you wrote this book and what kind of work led you to see the need for this type of book. Wow, there's so many angles at that. Um, <laughs> I uh, I've been a management training uh, management consultant for a long time, and uh, started teaching in Free Agent Academy, uh, the roadmap group there, uh, going through how to build a, a simple plan that's not too complicated, but yet effective enough to to help people get things done. What I say is, you know, more than a napkin, but less than a binder. And so just started teaching that class and the material started to gel together into this could be a book, outlined it, wrote it, published it, and, and there it is. It's out there. Uh, it really came about. It's the process that my mentor, Chuck Bowen, came up with uh, just to simplify strategic planning. And I've taken it from there and, and helped to explain it um, in a book form so that people can just read it and uh, then go to town. Why is it so important for today's business leaders to have an entrepreneurial mindset? Well, I, I think that first they have to define what entrepreneur means. And, and my definition is just somebody who's adding value, someone who's, who's making something out of nothing or improving something to give it value. And that can be certainly the small business owner or you know the business manager type, but it's also within a corporation, within an organization, who is... Uh, bringing new ideas to the table and expanding the boundaries of the business and growing the business. So I look at it from that aspect, and that's absolutely what is needed today. If you're not growing, you're regressing. Uh, there's there's no such thing as kind of really just even keel and steady because you know that steadiness is actually degradation because the rest of the market is moving forward. So we've got to figure out ways. How do we grow? How do we expand? Um, yes, there's times where things are down and times where things are up, but we've got to be striving uh, to continue to grow our businesses or it's just falling apart as slowly but surely. I like your metaphor that this is something, what, what's needed is something that's more than just writing on the back of a napkin, but not, but something smaller than a binder. So mm-hmm. what exactly what, what does this end up looking like? Can you give us an overview? 
Sure. It's a, it's a simple little template. It's about nine steps. So there's approximately nine pages. I think some of them might have more than one page or, or less, you know, a couple on the same page. But about a nine-step process that just walks you through the foundational things, the things that are about yourself or about your organization, to include doing a SWOT analysis, defining your mission statement, your core values and your vision, your business objectives. And then that moves, if you think of a triangle, you know, it's narrowing to the point. That foundation is really, really strong and steady. Uh, once you nail those things down, they're in pretty good place. And then, you know, the vision starts to change and shift over time because you're continuing to look forward and look out. Then you're using your SWOT and then you're building out what are your key strategies, your main priority projects the goals for those projects, and the tasks to achieve those goals. And that's the point of the pyramid where we've got projects, goals, and tasks for our next 90 days, our next three months, that quarter of time. And then we cycle through that process. We execute on that quarter, go to the next quarter, replan that piece, and, and execute. And so it's, it's plan, do, review, and adjust. And we just do that on a quarterly basis. And what happens is you start to get traction, you start to have intention and focus and purpose in your plans and your actions, and people move a lot further down the line than they would just uh, you know, trying to execute on a good idea. How long does it take the, the first time that you create an SSP? That varies amongst my clients quite a bit. Some can sit down and knock it out you know, pretty quickly. Others will take a few weeks to really chew on things. Part of that depends on their exposure to planning or their, their certain natural tendencies towards planning. Um, and other times it's, it's just how solid is their idea? How clear is it what they want? And so it varies in, in an amount of time from you know, a day to, to a few weeks. And then also if you're getting coached. So if, if I'm working with you one-on-one, it's going to be a lot quicker process. That's just, that's just part of the nature of the deal. You can read the book and go through it and might, might be able to do it in a couple of weeks. But then it's the process of learning it. So it's like Dave Ramsey talks about when you do a budget, the first time it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, planning's <laughs> that way too. You know, first time it probably doesn't work, but you learn some things and you refine and you can go on and make it better over time. So let's say there's the, the approach where, okay, I read the book and then I, I could struggle through it and lead my team through it. But do you, do you typically do these as a like a one-day session in, in person where you facilitate a, a team or is this done over the phone in a, let's say, a conference call or video conference in a series of sessions? It'll depend a lot on the client. Um, there's a lot of ways I've done it in the past and a lot of ways I can structure it to, to fit the right client. If it's a one-on-one situation, that's going to work pretty well over the phone or Skype or something like that. It could be all in a day or two, or it could be stretched out over several sessions. I've also done a two-day intensive where I go and actually visit the client, and we spend two intense days going through everything and building out the entire plan. I do coaching groups where it's a little more self-paced and do a lot of Q&A along the way to help folks out, or, uh, or one-on-ones where it's just distributed out. It really depends. If it's more of a team effort, I have one friend who used the book for her business and uh, she was able to have everybody go through the process together, and then she got incredible buy-in from her team. And they restructured how they did their meetings, how they planned uh, for the future, and came up with some ideas. She would have never either she wouldn't have come up with them, or she would have never proposed them for fear that they would re- rebel against her. But they actually suggested some things. Uh, that worked out really well for her business, and they're now in their second cycle of using the plan. 
and it's just it's just working really well as a communication tool for them as much as anything else. So I can certainly go in and work with teams in a different format. I'm also certified as a Stratop uh, facilitator, and that's a more in-depth process out of the Patterson Center in Colorado. And that's a three-day intensive uh, strategic planning process that's uh, different from uh, uh, what I do with the simple strategic plan from my book. But there's certainly overlap in the concepts. You know, a truth is a truth, and, and so they're, they're there throughout both processes. James, the first step in your simple strategic planning process is to do a SWOT analysis. Can you tell me what's involved with that? Sure. Uh, SWOT is, a, is an old technique. It stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And the reason I have that as the beginning step of the process is because it's important to know yourself uh, or know your organization. And by understanding what you do well, what you don't do well, what could take you out, and what could launch you incredibly – it really gives you a solid foundation from which to build the rest of your plan. We later go into a SWOT analysis where we take each of those items and actually figure out what do I have to do to maximize a strength, minimize a weakness, contain a threat, or leverage an opportunity. Yeah, I I thought that was interesting that you define the SWOT at the beginning, but then you don't really use it until several steps later. It's about building perspective. It's about framing kind of what you're doing and who you are and, and why you're doing it. And so it's kind of an easy exercise in some ways just to kind of kick things off and, and get it rolling versus that blank piece of paper that says write your mission statement down and you, you just stare at it and it's like, oh, no, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people get stuck there. Well, let's talk about that second part, coming up with a mission statement. It seems like that gets a lot of people bog down and you can you can be on that step endlessly and you basically just sort of reduce that to a a question what what do you want to be paid to do that that question what do you want to be paid to do implies uh two things one what do you want you know what are your desires what are the things that you enjoy what's fun and then what are people willing to pay you to do and so when you find that intersection, those are your places of opportunity because you can want to do a lot of things. I want to drive a race car, but there's not a lot of people willing to put me behind the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're not going to pay me to do that. Now, I might pay to do that, but uh, they're not going to pay me. There's other things that I do great and, and, and I can get paid a lot to do. Uh, some are not even moral, legal, or ethical, but um, I can get paid to do those things. I don't want to. So I don't want to have that in my life. So I've got to find that combination. What do I want and what are people willing to pay for? Uh, what do I enjoy and there's a market for? And when we find those things, that intersection, there's a, there's a powerful opportunity there. There's probably multiple opportunities, but when you start to hone in on that, you start to say, hey, this is what I'm made for. This is, this is what makes my heart sing and this is what I want to go do. And, and then you just find ways to, to earn money doing it. And for me, I'm a capitalist. I believe in it, but the, the heart of capitalism to me is that exchange of value, that I'm not taking advantage of you. You get a great value. I get your, as, as Rabbi Daniel Appen says, I get your certificates of appreciation, those dollar bills, and um, it's a win-win. That, that to me is the way that, that business should be done. It, and it seems like when you, you spoke earlier about if you are a leader with a team, do you want to go through this process by yourself or with your direct reports, or with your team? I would say at least with your direct reports, 
would make it a lot better to add that greater perspective and as well as to get everybody's buy-in. But I, I imagine this is where you it's particularly challenging to get a group of people to agree on a mission together. Yes. And, and this I would not recommend for a team of 200 to sit in a room and try to figure out their mission, <laughs> right? If a team of 200 exists, there's probably already some kind of a mission statement and you get the key leaders together and you review it and, and you explore maybe some tweaks or changes to it and see if, is this really what our mission still is today? Or has, has the market evolved? Has our business or our conscience or whatever evolved to make a change to this or to word it better for our employees or for our customers? You can have internal or external facing mission statements. So yeah, if you've got a big, big group You've got to hone that down. This stuff, you've got to take it to them and say, hey, we want some feedback on this, but this is what our, our core leadership has come up with. If you're the owner, it's yours. You own it. You know, Everybody else needs to step in line with it because if you want to define that mission statement for you and what you want in your business, yes, take it to them, get feedback, but at the end of the day, it's, it's your business. And if they're not going to be in line with what you want the mission of the business to be, then they're probably not the right fit for your business. So yeah, there's a difference between an individual doing it versus a team doing it. But in most cases, the team already has some kind of a mission focus uh, in place, or it's a small enough group that's starting something that they can sit around the table and start to, to flesh this out. I don't get hung up too much on the rules of the mission statement either. Um, you know, with mission and vision statements, and there's a lot of overlap in some books, but you know, I don't say it has to be 13 words or less. I don't you know, give it that kind of framework. It can be honed over time. What you want to get is the core of it, the truth of it on paper, written down so that people can read it and go, yeah, that's what we're about. And it becomes a filter. All this process becomes a filter by which you make your decisions. And so an opportunity comes up and says, hey, Jesse, you know, we want to feature you in this magazine. And it'd be a great feature, you know, all this different stuff. But the, the cover is full of scantily clad women, and that's not your thing, and your wife's not going to be happy about that. Well, maybe you pass on that because that's one of your core values is family issues, family values. And, and so that becomes that filter by which you, you turn things down or accept things. And the mission statement is the first of those filters. It's, is this true to my mission? Is this true to what I want to do and what people are going to pay for? It seems like there, there's a lot of thought leaders today who are trying to make sure help leaders identify a mission that connects with a higher purpose that their team is going to get excited about beyond just day-to-day making money but am I making a difference in the world am I am I going to leave a dent on this earth when I'm done do you get hung up on that or is or is it do you keep it at a more simple level you know this is a framework it's a tool set that people can use and they can flex it and, and bend it to how they want for me personally, impact is a big part of my core purpose and, and what I want to accomplish in this world. And I, I do want to make that dent, but I want to make it a pretty dent, right? <laughs> I want to, to leave the world a better place. You know, the, the typical uh, you know, beauty pageant answer, you know, I want, I want to make the world better. But there's truth in that, and that is at the heart of my desire is to, is to make a difference, to impact people's lives and help them improve. And so if you want to add a spiritual component to that, whether that's for me from a Christian perspective or, or otherwise just a generic spiritual aspect in, in terms of purpose and meaning, go for it. This is the place to start putting those things in. If you want it more generic and structured and corporate, if you want, uh, you know, clinical corporateness, 
that works for that too. This is just a tool set, but it flexes to whatever people need it to be in order to, to get what they want out of it. Now, the, the next step, step three, I would have expected that you would have talked about mission, and so now we're going to talk about vision, but instead, your next step is core values. Why is that the, the next most important thing to address? Well, you know, there's, there's always an order of things, and um, there's reasons for that order, but again, if you, you want to jump to vision statement, the, the structure is not so, um, so hardwired that you can't do that. But for me, the core values are that continuing filtering. And so I've defined kind of what my business is going to be about. Now I want to define what do I care about? What are the, those truths that are just going to be there that I can insert, write in stone, and make sure that I'm always following them? And so whether that's integrity, having fun, you know, whatever those values are that I want my company to represent. And then if I have employees, what I want them to know is important to me. That's why I want to build that out. When you're helping a group discover their core values, James, what kinds of questions do you ask them? Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to pull out core values. I think, I think one of the first is just kind of what makes you think? What is, what is uh, in your heart? But I would ask things like, why do you want to be in business? What changes do you want to make happen in the world or in your world? What is your business value? What do you care about? What is it serving? Who is it serving? All of these are to start pulling out out of the the person certain questions. Where is the money going to? You know, you can follow the money and see if there's a core purpose, a core value in that. How would you use your wealth if this makes you incredibly wealthy? Does it make it easy for your customers? A lot of businesses are built around that aspect of customer service. You look at a Zappos, right? And they're all about customer service. They happen to sell shoes. So, you know, is that, is that a core value of your business? What are you promising your clients? How do you inject fun into the workplace? So if you're, if you're building a team environment or even just on your own, you know, fun is fun. And we, wanna, we don't want to just have drudgery in our work. That's starting to violate the, the mission statement of finding that intersection. So how can we pull these things out of ourselves? And these are just questions to kind of prompt and get, get ideas and then it's just a matter of documenting them out. Are you having fun? What does it feel good to you? Looking at your target market, that kind of thing. Do the values really make a difference? And how so? I mean, what, what's, why do you have to have this as a step in this planning process? Well, for, for me, it's building your backbone, your, your corporate backbone. What do you stand for? You know, if you're just going to go wherever the market goes, you're kind of leeching the market at that point. Sure. Business has to respond to where people are and what they want to buy. But if I'm developing a product that I want to help people and it starts to hurt people, I've got to change that. I've got to make adjustments to that. If I have a revelation that, you know, I just don't believe in this anymore, do I keep doing it just because it's making money? You know, some people can do that. I can't. So for me, this gives you the backbone to stand on. This is what I stand for. This is what my business stands for. And this is how we're going to operate. That, to me, is the core values, along with the mission statement. So then you've got those defined, and then you start on the visioning step, which is looking further out, right? Three to five years? Yes. I actually, we do three vision statements, in, uh, or you could call them statements. They're not really statements. Three visions. One that's three to five years out, one that's a year out, and one that's 90 days out. So we're really focusing in on the, the, the current cycle that we're planning for. And I don't call them a vision statement as much as a vision narrative. 
the concept is, is something that I got from Ari Weinsweek, who runs, uh, he's up, actually up in Michigan with you, runs in Ann Arbor, I believe it is, runs Zingerman's Deli and their mm-hmm. associated companies. Great, incredible mind. And I ran across an article of his in Inc. Magazine a few years ago, and it just really crystallized the idea and the concept of the vision statement. It got me away from that 11 or 13 word rule and said, let's instead create a virtual world that we can walk into. Let's describe it. Let's feel it and taste it and smell it and sense it in every possible way. And when you can walk into it or you can share it with somebody else and they experience it, especially if it's your teammates or your partners or or your, uh, your vendors even potentially, they can get on board with that vision and they go, yes, let's make this happen versus you know, it's first, his example was building a farmer's market. I could say, hey, Jesse, let's build a farmer's market. And you go, yeah, okay, that's cool, right? Or it's like, why? Or if I said, hey, Jim, let's build a farmer's market. And when you walk in, this is what you experience. And, and if it's written out in a few paragraphs, it says, this is what it's going to be like. This is what we'll hear and smell and taste and the community impact and all these different things. Wow, it becomes virtual. It becomes tangible. It becomes real. And so we want to take it from that and then inject ourselves into it. And so the way I do it is to simply say, it's three to five years from now. I'm sitting at my desk. What is happening? I wake up and it's my ideal day. It's just a random day in the future, but it's my my typical best possible day. (laughs) And so how do I wake up? What do I do in the morning? How do I interact with my kids before they go off to school? How do I interact with my wife? Um, what is my work like through the day, whether I'm working from home, working in an office, traveling, uh, giving speeches, you know, what are those things that I'm doing? As I look back, what's the impact I've had over time on my clients and what am I dreaming of uh, moving forward even further into the future? And so I can start to write that down, really make it real. It's hard at first to do that. Um, A lot of people have a real challenge in, in doing this kind of a vision narrative, but when they do, Wow, the, it just lights them on fire. The, the smiles come. They have a sense of peace about moving forward. Um, they know what they're driving themselves to. And when you know that target, it's a lot easier to get there. I love that. Well, we'll provide a link in our show notes to that article, Creating a Company Vision by Ari Weinsberg from Zingerman's, which I have to say, I just a few months, uh, well, like a couple months ago, took a client to, had, was meeting with a client, uh, out-of-town client in, in Ann Arbor. Lots of great restaurants there. Zingerman's was the one place that he actually asked to go to uh, back. So we hit Zingerman's twice in one trip. So out of all the great restaurants there, it, it definitely does stand out. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to get up there. And I actually started emailing Ari as I was writing the book. And he gave me some great tips and um, actually endorsed the book. So it was really incredible. So then it feels like you, you, you've got this nice uh, det- visual sort of story that you, you're picturing when you create this vision. And then it get, you get to sort of the hard business stuff uh, that's defining your business objectives. Yes, you've got to have something that you're reaching for, something that you're measuring. So again, it's a refinement process as we started with, with the SWOT and moved into the mission and the core values and the vision. Now we're in the business objectives and we're going to pull those out of the vision a lot of times. You know, we wanted to accomplish what in our vision. Okay, well, how do we measure that? How do we build that out? And so these are just statements similar to the core values. It's just a statement of what we want to accomplish, why we are doing the business in the first place. A lot of people have 
a trouble uh, differentiating between the core values and the business objectives. And so what I say is that the, the core values are more the intention towards yourself, your customers, and your team, whereas the business objectives are more concrete and measurable. They're the, the personal motivations for starting the business, the outcomes of the business, what it needs to accomplish. So it could be things like your lifestyle, the profit margin, the number of people reached. So there's both personal and business things that start to get injected here. People ask me, too, a lot of times whether I, I do it strictly on the business, and I don't. I don't see a differentiation between the business and the personal. It's very interconnected for me and what I do. If it was a bigger organization, yes, it, it probably would be more more corporate uh, feel and, and business-focused, but there's definitely for the solopreneur or the very small team, small business owner, there's a personal aspect to why we're doing this and, and what we're trying to accomplish. So these business objectives are things that you can measure. Now, how do you avoid going overboard on this and, and again, getting way down in the weeds? I just say keep it at the, at the high level. You know, if, if you need to generate a certain income number, just put that down. You know, what, what is that income number that needs to be generated? What are the number of client contacts and reaches or sales or whatever that you need to have? If you get too detailed, you can be killed by analysis of numbers, right? We don't, we don't want to have to track this at a minute level every day to know if we're on track or not. We want to be able to track it at a, at a generic level over the course of time to see if we're moving in generally the right direction. Some will be more concrete than others, but these are not what we would call key performance indicators, you know, KPIs in, in the business world where we would be tracking them at a, at a minute, very tight level on a project. They're a higher level. They're part of our bigger picture, maybe our dashboard. But I don't want to make course corrections on a daily basis based on these things. They're our guide. They're moving us forward. They're, they're kind of big picture goals. Yeah, so some of them are very are, are what you would imagine are like financial goals. Uh, earn Some of the examples you provide would be uh, earn X thousands of dollars in profits by such and such date. But some are more personal things, but you could still could clearly call them measurable at your gut level. Like um, oh, yeah. travel to other parts of the country and meet committed ethical business people. Uh, develop a personal network of like-minded entrepreneurs for support and growth. So, so things that you'll know over time, am I, am I getting closer to that objective or not? Right. And that's, that's part of the review process of, of the SSP because it's a quarterly process. You're looking at it every three months at least. You're really looking at it more often if you're using it. But these early sections of it, you know, once you get to the execution part, you're really focused on your projects, goals, and tasks. Um, on, on the review process, you come back and you look over and you make smaller adjustments. Your mission probably doesn't change a lot. Your vision may need to be tweaked every quarter, but maybe big tweaks every year. Um, your business objectives, though, it becomes that gut check of, hey, am I, I said I wanted to spend more time with my kids. Am I doing that? And you know, right? <laughs> you know pretty much whether you're doing that or not. So it doesn't need a big statistical spreadsheet in order to track some things. Yeah. So now here's the part that I was interested in. Um, we know the latter steps in the st simple strategic planning is we're going to take those business objectives and we're going to define some strategies and then define some major goals and break those down into action steps. But before those, and maybe maybe this is kind of a good place to wrap up, is the is, is what do you do at this point? We're going to go back and use the SWOT analysis again. 
Right. And it's basically, it's real simple. You take the SWOT that you've generated in the first step, copy it, paste it in the, the, to this step, and then respond to it. And so if you said, you know, one of my strengths is communication, you know, I'm a good communicator. Well, you can look at that and say, well, how can I use my communication skills to advance my business? Well, I could start a podcast. I could make sure I'm giving more presentations. I could not outsource my presentations to my partner who's not good at it, right? And so you're just looking for those ways that you can actually leverage a strength, minimize a weakness, eliminate a threat, or at least contain a threat, and uh, maximize a opportunity. I like that. So when you respond to the SWOT analysis, then you're able to come up with the strategies and, and goals and actions plans that we discussed. But then it's still part of your plan needs to include this concept of one thing at a time and prioritizing. And you encourage people to build that right into the plan. Yeah, the, the SWOT analysis primes you for action. And then you build out those projects, goals, and tasks in order to know what to act, what's the most important thing. But then you've, you've really got to focus. And we're talking about not we're not talking about writing down a project plan, a master plan of everything you do and every minute of your day is filled up. No. These are your key strategies, your major projects, the things that you most need to get done. And so it's the stuff that you need to intentionally give attention to. And when you do something that is important like that, you typically can only do one thing at a time. I can drive in my car and I can listen to a podcast. Um, and I can, you know, gather enough information from that. But that's because driving in a car is is pretty routine activity. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, unless there's a lot of traffic or bad weather or something like that, in which I give it more more of my attention. But I, I've got muscle memory, right? I, and I can just go through the motions on those things and generally be okay. I'm not advocating, you know, closing your eyes and listening to a podcast while you're driving. Uh, but <laughs> those are the kind of things you can do, right? You can multitask those kind of things. But if you want to write a book, you know, I have a lot of music playing when I'm writing. I don't remember the songs. It's kind of just background noise and it kind of keeps other noises out. I'm not thinking about the song. I'm thinking about the words on the page that I'm writing. If I'm building something, if I'm trying to strategize something, I'm focused on that activity and I need to give it as much of my attention as I possibly can. And that means forgetting about multitasking and learning how to focus and do one thing at a time. That will take you further than just about anything else. If you can learn how to develop that level of focus, even if it's for short bursts at a time, I'm not talking about focus for eight hours. That's a different thing. That's what, what some people would call flow. When you're in the flow, those are beautiful things and you can't always uh, get there. But if you can give 20, 30 minutes to a task and, and avoid the interruptions of life and all the Facebook and Twitter pop-ups and all those things that we do to ourselves, that's where we get some really good, powerful work done. James, on your website, you provide some additional uh, tools that are basically uh, extra features that aren't in the book. But uh, what, what are some of those and how can people get a, get a hold of those? Yeah, there's a there's a resources tab on the at, at conqueryourkryptonite.com and it's tools that I use. One is a project planning tool where you can actually take and once you've built out your SSP from the template which is also there, you type up your template, fill it in either in Word or print it out and write it out. Then you can take this spreadsheet, which is just a nerd's dream and I'm a nerd so I built it. Um, <laughs> and it takes you, you load your projects, goals, and tasks, the last three steps from the SSP, and 
by giving it dates to each task, so you're going to start date and an end date, it calculates which week it's supposed to be done, and then on another sheet, it builds out your weekly plan for that week. And it says, these are the tasks you said you were going to work on in, in, in this week. And for me, I, I use that every week. Every Monday, I sit down, I update my projects, so I'll mark things as 100% complete so they won't show up. I'll move dates, I'll change things around, add tasks, remove tasks, whatever that has to be. There's flexibility in the plan, but I'm generally moving in the direction that I intended to. And then that I print that out, and now I've got a piece of paper. I'm looking at mine right now for this week. It says, these are the things I said I wanted to do. These are the things I better be working on. And I can take those and then inject them into my schedule. I can say, well, I've got an hour here. I'll work on that there. And that starts to be my one thing at a time for that task, for that thing at that time. That is the most powerful thing I've been able to do is, is that focus of one thing at a time. And, and this tool helps to build that out. There's also some other things. and There's more I'm going to be adding. I'm, I'm making tweaks to them all the time. There's a financial spreadsheet that will help, help you forecast some finances to see if your business idea is viable. That Again, back to that intersection. Is there enough money there to, to be worth going after it? And I'll be adding more stuff as, as time goes on. It's just, it's just fun to build those tools and, and take suggestions from people to improve them, make them better. I've actually got some bigger dreams for some of those tools, but I can't get into that just now. So. <laughs> well, the book is all about organizing chaos, prioritizing focus, and getting stuff done. The book, is, again, is called Conquer the Entrepreneur's Kryptonite, Simple Strategic Planning for You and Your Business. Our guest has been James Woosley. James, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Hey, thank you, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk with you, and, and I hope we continue to get to do that in the future. Wonderful. Again, the website is conqueryourkryptonite.com. There you'll find the tools that James mentioned. You'll also be able to sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching with James if you want to go through the concepts discussed in the book and uh, work on your own simple strategic plan. Or if you would prefer a group coaching format or you'd like to save some money on coaching, you can sign up for one of James' coaching groups. Currently, he's running a group called Conquer 2014. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 75 as in episode 75. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. <laughs>